Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everybody doing? Hopefully you're having a great day. Um, I'm excited to bring you some information that, um, at least for me, has really changed my life. And that's real estate investing, but, um, but really buying and holding properties. When I think back to everything that I've done in, in my life, in my career, um, I've built a real estate company and, and, and I've done a, a number of other things. What I'm most proudest of um, and what I'm able to bring um, in terms of my legacy is my investment properties. And so um, we're going to talk, I'm going to talk today about buying holding properties. Um, there's a number of different strategies on real estate investing. Um, you hear primarily about flipping properties um, and wholesaling properties, but it's not until you really start to buy and hold properties that um, you're really building wealth for yourself. So this is all about building wealth. So we entitled this five steps to buy and hold and live financially free because your buy and hold properties will allow you to live financially free. And it's not until you do that, and I'm really talking to the real estate agents, it's not until you buy and hold properties that you're financially free, that you're building generational wealth, that you have other streams of income. So um, two investment strategies, there's only two investment strategies. One is um, buy for cash and our buying for cash is flipping properties and wholesaling. And then buying for equity and appreciation is your buy and hold strategy. What we do as investors is we combine the two. So um, we flip properties or we wholesale properties to get the cash to then buy and hold. Because we know that buy and holding properties is really the gift that keeps on giving. Our properties are giving us cash flow to live and to re retire financially free. <clears throat> but it's also building up um, equity and appreciation where we can either borrow against that equity um, or as an exit strategy, um, sell off the properties, let's say in 10 years, and that's our retirement. So your, your buy and hold properties are, are part of your retirement if you are a real estate agent. The question is, especially if you're a full-time agent, what's your what's your retirement? What's your retirement strategy? Um, you know, most in, most agents they don't have retirement strategy. You've got to create your own retirement strategy. Sadly, most do not. Um, what we sell is real estate. What we don't do is invest in real estate. That's why here at Bent Realty Solutions, our slogan is "Earn more, keep more." invest more so that you can take the money that you're earning. And that's what I did early in my career. I would sell real estate and I would take some of my commissions and then buy and hold real estate. <clears throat> that's what I did. So um, I first got started investing in real estate um, right out of college and I was buying and holding properties. And the goal was to buy one property a year. And that's what I was doing. I was 23 years old. Um, every year I would buy one property and I built a really nice portfolio. One of the mistakes that I made was um, I got to a point where I had about five or six properties. I started, I said, well, let me sell one or two properties and then take that money and 
buy a bigger property, multifamily, where that, that never happened. And so um, all along the way, I would invest more, buy more properties, and then sometimes would sell some off. My advice is once you buy property, whether it's whether you're gonna live in the property or as an investment property, my advice to you, and one of the biggest mistakes that I made was selling them off. You buy a property, you keep it forever. Never ever sell the property. Um, you heard it from me, buy a property, keep it. And everybody else that I've, I've talked to who have sold properties, I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, and she said she owned um, property in Ocean City. She had a one bedroom condo right on the beach. You walk out to the beach in Ocean City, Maryland. And she said one of her regrets in life really is to sell that property. She thought she was gonna sell that property, take the money and buy another property. Um, it's a huge regret of hers, huge regret of mine. Build that portfolio so you're building generational wealth, you're retiring financially free, um, but I think more importantly, you're you're leaving a legacy for your family and you're building that generational wealth for your family. And these are the assets that you you leave. You live off of them and then you leave them for your children, for your children's children. And I think that's really our responsibilities. You often hear about building generational wealth and retiring financially free and having multiple streams of income. You often hear about that, but how many people you know does that? How many people that you know um, is part, part of a legacy or started a legacy or was even born with a silver spoon in your mouth? Like, I don't really know many people. And it's because the generation before didn't have, you know, didn't leave that generational wealth, didn't have that that um, that wherewithal, that education to buy properties for for the mere purpose of retiring financially free, but more importantly, building generational wealth. The way you build generational wealth, well, part of it is um, having assets and real estate is one, of course, businesses are another, but having that real estate to leave to the next generation and, and let them expand on that. And that's what we do and that's what you should be doing. So I'm gonna go over the five steps, the five steps that I use, the five steps that many buy and hold investors use to build um, generational wealth, buying and holding real estate. Go to the comment section if you have a question or a comment on anything that I say. All right, so let's get started, you guys. Um, Number one, locate rental properties. So number one, we're locating rental properties in the right area at a discount to gain equity at the start. So buying the properties right, even when we're buying and holding, we've got to buy the properties right. The number one mistake that investors make, whether you're buying and holding, fixing and flipping or wholesaling, is they buy the properties wrong. You have to, even on a buy and hold, I buy the properties, right? I stick to that same formula that we use for wholesaling real estate or fixing and flipping. That's 70% of the after repair value minus repair costs. So I get what the house will sell for fixed up. I take 70% of that and then I subtract it by the um, repair costs. And I buy my buy and holds um, at that same price. Unless I'm buying um, like a multifamily, 
that already has tenants in there or I was under contract recently to buy a commercial building that had a few businesses in there as tenants, then you use what we call um, the cap rate. And so you want to buy the properties right. You want to buy them at a discount and you want to buy these properties in desirable areas. Now, so what are the desirable areas? And so in most cases, when we're buying residential, we categorize the right areas into um, really four classifications. Your, um, your A class, B, C, and D, with um, A being your A properties are kind of in affluent neighborhoods. Um, but the problem with the A, um, A neighborhoods or the A class is um, they're at a higher price. The cost is a lot higher. You are buying with a lot of equity, but the cash flow is really low. And so that's that's A. Um, hey, Alex, uh, longtime friend Alex is, is uh, in the house. Um, so that's your, your, your A neighborhoods. Let's go down to your D neighborhoods. Your D neighborhoods are kind of what we consider your war zones, where um, you're buying them at much lower prices, but the maintenance costs, the maintenance costs is a lot higher there. Um, be, because, you know, you're, you're getting um, tenants that aren't really taking care of the properties. They're in kind of dangerous neighborhoods. So you're getting a lot of theft, things like that. When I'm buying properties, I'm, I'm generally buying properties in C-class or B neighborhoods. So our B neighborhoods are kind of middle-class, older properties, um, slightly lower purchase costs, um, not that much um, maintenance, but good cash flow or medium cash flow. Your C neighborhoods are lower income, older properties, um, really good equity, um, uh, but lower price, needs renovation, but high cash flow. And so we're, we're looking at neighborhoods that are what we consider B neighborhoods and C neighborhoods, and we want to buy there. And so Danielle, I'm going to get I'm going to I'm going to get to that um, question. What I consider buying properties um, subject to to buy and hold. So hang on for a second, Danielle. I'm going to get there. I just put one on the contract subject to to buy and hold this past weekend. So I'll, I'll get there. Um, here, here's um, why we're fortunate. So I, I live here in what we call the DMV area, um, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. I'm fortunate to live here because we have um, Baltimore that's from where I'm sitting right now is less than 30 miles from where I'm sitting in Greenbelt, Maryland. We have Washington, D.C. that from where I'm sitting is probably less than uh, maybe three or four miles is, is D.C. Baltimore is the number one residential rental area in the United States. And it's because you can buy low and rent high in Baltimore City. And so I primarily buy properties and rent them out to voucher holders, Section 8. Section 8 is, is paying a higher rate in Baltimore City, but you're buying. So, for example, I, I bought a property recently um, at an auction for $40,000. I put um, $15,000 into it. Um, so I'm all in at, at about um, $55,000. My note on that one property is about three hundred, um, about three three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean, three hundred and 
fifty dollars, I actually combine that property with, with two or three other properties um, and just have one note. But that that property right there was just three hundred and fifty dollars a month. But I'm getting fifteen hundred dollars a month uh, for that property um, from Section Eight, which means I'm over a thousand dollars a month in positive cash flow just on that one property, which makes um, a city like Baltimore very, very desirable. But you've got to buy that property right, as opposed to to Washington D.C., which is even closer to me. I own properties in Washington D.C. They're a little more expensive. But the great thing about Washington, D.C. and any capital city, to be honest with you, in, in, in the world is um, you get great, great um, equity and great appreciation. There's some parts of Washington, D.C. right now that are appreciating that has appreciated over the last three years at 70 percent, you guys, at 70 percent. And so um, you're, we're buying, we're looking for properties that either have great cash flow, like a Baltimore, Maryland, or areas that appreciate at a higher rate. Um, and then some areas you kind of get the best of both worlds, but we've got to buy these properties right. I focus on um, cosmetic renovations when I'm buying these properties. I don't want to do um, a major renovation on, on a buy and hold. I'm not doing what we call um, as fixing flippers, gut jobs. I, so if I'm going to do a gut job or, or major renovation, I'm probably going to actually um, flip that property and sell it. All my buy and holds, just cosmetic renovations. And so I'm renovating um, kitchen, bathrooms, I'm painting, I'm doing flooring um, and some exterior work, windows, gutters, downspouts, roof, that's it. I try to keep my renovation costs depending on the area, less than $30,000. Um, I renovate my rentals. You guys, listen to this. I renovate my rentals as if I'm going to flip the property. And so I put in granite, I put in stainless steel, I put in real hardwood floors in my, in my rental properties. I try to renovate them and make them look just like someone's going to come buy these properties for, you know, just like if, I just renovated a property and, and just sold it for $650,000. I renovate the same way. Here's why I do it. And I was explaining this to my coaching students last night. I renovate at that level because I want to make sure that number one, I get a tenant. Number two, the tenant takes care of the property. Um, and then number three, I don't have to go back six months later, a year later, to even two or three years later and do more renovations or do more improvements. I don't want that. And so um, there was a time where I would put in used appliances. I don't do that anymore because six months, a year later, I've got to go back and put in more used appliances. I want appliances that I know is going to last for 10 years. And I want to put in flooring that I know that's going to last. And um, it's, it's, there's a shortage of rental properties that are renovated at that level. Landlords get in, they say, okay, tenants, they don't want much. They just want, want you know, a roof over their head. That's a misnomer. Um, you don't know the situation of that tenant. And maybe they're coming from owning real estate, owning properties. They want to live at a certain level. When I get my tenants in my properties, I want to make them so nice that they don't want to move. They don't want to go anywhere that they want to stay there forever. And so I've had tenants that have 
been in my properties for 10 years, 15 years. I have other colleagues that, that's had tenants in their properties for over 20 years. And guess what, you guys? You give a good product, you take good care of your tenants, they will take care of you. They will take care of that property or have kind of ownership in that property mentally. Um, they will stay in that property a long time and they will pay that mortgage off for you. Listen to that. They will pay the mortgage off for you. So don't cut corners when you're renovating. Put that extra effort, that extra money into these properties. And so that you continue to get cash flow and, and your rents can go up 5% every year. Um, but you're renovating at a level that makes it just so desirable. And I'll probably mention this again. Treat that property like it's its own separate business. If that tenant calls and says um, there's something wrong, go running or send your contractor to run, send your handyman over there, fix it, fix it quickly. Keep that tenant happy. A happy tenant um, means a happy landlord. Um, where are we finding these properties? Um, we're, we're finding these properties through referrals, um, pre-foreclosures, auctions. I've bought plenty of buy and holds um, from auctions, uh, probate, tired landlords. And so speaking of tired landlords, you guys, look at your buy and hold properties as a long-term investment. Yes, you get tired of the tenants, termites, and um, the tenants, termites, and there's a third T. What's my third T? Tenants, termites, and toilets. Tenants, termites, and toilets. You get tired of that, get used to it. Know that it's part of the game. Um, keep those properties, like I said earlier. But you get a lot of landlords who buy those properties with equity in them. They get tired of the three T's, the tenants, toilets, and termites. And four or five years later, they sell um, with even more equity. And those are good properties, absentee owners. Those are good properties to buy from landlords, distressed properties. I bought lots of distressed, abandoned properties um, from, from, from landlords. And so there's where you find your properties. Um, also, social media, brand yourself that you're an investor looking for buy and hold properties. Go to what we call RIA meetings, real estate investment association meetings, meetups especially when COVID kind of subsides, um, go to those, um, those meetings and network. So networking, you're finding a lot of your buy and holds. Here's my model, you guys. This is me personally. Here's my model for my buy and holds. I like to buy and hold properties that are row houses. I prefer three bedrooms, two baths, three levels with, with the basement. I also, and it doesn't have to have a basement. That's not a requirement. Um, doesn't have to have a basement, but definitely I would prefer three bedrooms, two baths. I would prefer a row house, but then I would also uh, would prefer a row house or townhouse. And then I prefer to, to be an in, interior unit. I want to be interior unit. Uh, I don't want to be the end unit. I want to be the interior unit, less maintenance costs, less windows, um, smaller roof, less gutters, less downspouts less siding or, or brick, whatever that is, uh, smaller yards, um, less maintenance costs, because that property is going to rent for the same amount as that in unit, as long as it's, you know, three bedrooms, two baths. 
And so I would prefer the less maintenance um, over having that in unit for you know more more yard space, more privacy. I mean, you're not living there; tenants living there. Um, but I would prefer an interior unit. That's my particular model. Um, and and do I have some um, in units? Yes. Do I have single family homes? Um, I have a few, but most of the properties that I buy are row houses or townhouses that are interior units. It's just less maintenance costs, and that's what. As a as a landlord, here's the here's the costs that come up that kind of nag you: maintenance costs, um, and then um, tenants um, turn turn turning over tenants. So tenant turnover, those are your costs that kind of nag at you. And so you want to minimize um, tenant cost, uh, tenant turnover. Um, and maintenance costs. So that that's what I do. So that's that's my particular model. So Stephanie is asking the question: um, Do you use agents um, to find your buy and hold? You can use agents, um, Stephanie, to buy and hold, but you can find your buy and holds through uh, you know other various ways. Probably one of the easiest ways is to buy off the MLS, but when you buy off the MLS and an agent's only going to find you a property off the MLS, you're probably not going to find a property that kind of meets the criteria that I talked about earlier. Um, I try to buy at 70% of the after repair value minus repair costs. Um, the MLS is not going to give you that. Um, I would prefer you buying properties that we call off-market deals. So at auctions, like I mentioned. And so a lot, a lot of my investors buy at auctions as well as I do in, in you know, in front of the courthouse steps or, or HubZoo or auction.com or, or zone.com, um, buying from landlords. Some, some of my buy and hold investors actually go to landlord tenant court. And that's where you're finding a lot of um, disgruntled landlords and they pass out their business cards. They let them know that they're an investor and that they're looking for properties. Um, probate deals. Um, some some are putting up bandit signs. Uh, they're sending out postcards to um, an absentee owner list. Some are sending out postcards to they're able to get list of um, homeowners who have at least fifty percent equity in their properties. And so doing those things and just networking, social media, branding yourself. Um, that's how you really get the best deals. You're not finding the best deals on the MLS because the MLS is open up. It's, it's on the internet. So it's open up to the world. And then the MLS is syndicating to, you know, sometimes hundreds of other sites. Now the whole world can see the property and bid on those properties. You want to find properties where there's less competition and that's off market deals. So that, that's where, um, we find these properties. All right. So that's locating the properties, buying the properties right, buying the properties at a discount. So number two, you want to um, conduct your due diligence. You want to analyze the property. Um, and so what so what I do and I've talked about it already. Um, also, I look at what the property is going to rent for. So I run rental comps. And I try to stay. So here's my kind of my criteria when I'm buying and holding and I'm analyzing properties. I want to start off if I'm buying, let's say, for example, in an area that gives me a lot of cash flow. 
but not a lot of equity. I want to buy the property where the equity is already built in. So I want to buy the property where I'm close to $100,000 in equity when I buy the property, knowing that, you know, in years to come, I'm getting very little, little equity, but I'm getting a lot of um, cash flow. So I want to start off close to $100,000 in equity um, whenever I can. And then I want to also start off with at least $1,000 a month in positive cash flow. So when we run the numbers, and I gave a scenario earlier, uh, when I run my numbers and I see what I can rent it for, um, as opposed to what my my um, my long-term note is going to be, I want to make sure I'm close to $1,000 a month in positive cash flow when I'm buying in areas that have very little equity. I want to buy with the equity in and then get a lot of cash flow. If I'm buying in an area that's um, that's giving me um, a good appreciation, um, then I want to start off. I personally would like to start off with about five hundred to six hundred dollars a month in positive cash flow, and probably at least um, sixty or seventy thousand dollars in equity, knowing that I'm in an area where I'm going to get a minimum of ten percent appreciation. We all know we're in a seller's market now, where properties are really appreciating. Um, in the DMV, Washington DC area, we're appreciating right now at around 20%. Some areas are appreciating over the last three years at about 70%. So those are the areas that I want to buy and hold in to get that good appreciation. Um, that appreciation, you guys, and I talked about building generational wealth um, and having an exit strategy. That appreciation over the years, if you take care of that property, and for some of you guys on one property is going to give you enough for retirement. If you hold on to that property, go go through the, the good times and the bad times, the difficult times, the difficult tenants, things like that. The longer you hold on to that property, if it's in an area like Washington, D.C., that's giving you good appreciation. For some of you, one property, you'll be able to sell, let's say, 10 years from now and make a half a million dollars or even 400,000 and some seven, 800,000. Just think if you have two or three or four or five, that's your retirement. You can cash in. You can sell those properties, put that money, you know, pay the capital gain taxes, put that money in an annuity or some type of um, dividend stock or something like that. That's going to pay out, you know, a dividend or, or, you know, or retirement. And that's that's part of the exit strategy. And that's what buying and holding properties, that's what they do for you. And as a real estate agent, if you're not doing that, if you're just selling real estate and not investing, you're lost. You've, you've got a job. You know, you basically have a job where you're overworked and underpaid. You're dealing with um, real estate. You're selling to investors and you're making them wealthy. Like, what about you? What are you doing for yourself? And so, um, analyzing these properties, those are the numbers that you're looking at. Um, we define cash flow as um, the, the revenue that's coming in. And, and so that's generally the rent, the rental prop, the rent that's coming in. I like using section eight. So um, as long as um, the revenue coming in is more than the expenses going out, and we know the expenses are the taxes, the insurance, the mortgage payment, sometimes the HOA, sometimes the paying the property manager. 
um, as long as the revenue coming in um, far and exceeds the, um, the expenses going out, then you've got a good property. But you want to make sure, I was talking to, a, to an accountant about a year ago, and she told me that most of her clients that have rental properties take a loss. And the number one reason they take a loss is because they're not doing the analysis. They're not buying the properties right. You've got to buy the properties right. You've got to tell yourself, I want to start. If I can't start at $500 a month in positive cash flow, I'm not buying a property. That's what you have to tell yourself because you're not in this to lose. Things come up, maintenance, turnover, things like that. Um, you've got to consider um, all of those things, utilities. Are you paying the utilities or are your tenants paying the utilities? Some some investors pay the utilities themselves because they want to because they feel like they can get more. And if you're renting to um, voucher holders, you can get more if you pay the utilities. But they want to make sure the utilities get paid. Uh, we know that the water bill stays on the property regardless of if you pay the pay the water bill or your tenants. It's your it's your responsibility. And so you've got to determine whether you're going to pay it. Um, or if the tenants are paying the utilities and if the tenants are paying the utilities, you want to make sure that you get a copy of all the utility bills, especially the, the water bill, uh, so that you can, because that's your responsibility, they can walk from the property and you, you're left with, you know, that hefty water bill sometimes. And I, I've seen that. And so you want to make sure that, you know, that water bill is, is getting paid. And so um, buying the property right, doing your analysis, buying with the right terms um, is just so important. Like we're not just in this just to say I've got 10 properties. So I have 15 properties. We want to make sure that they're all cash flow, that uh, the maintenance on all of them are, um, are kept up and we're taking care of our investment. We're, we're taking care of our business. All right. Number three, how are we going to... Um, finance these properties. We're finding these properties. We're doing the analysis. Um, we found a property. How are we financing these properties? And so that's just as important as finding these properties. You got to know how you're going to finance these properties. And so before I get into that, let me just say this about financing. As a real estate investor, you don't have to, especially if you're wholesaling real estate, you don't have to be worried about your credit. You don't have to be worried about having a whole lot of money. As, as a um, wholesaler, you're just finding properties, you're putting them under contract, and then you're assigning those, pro those contracts to another investor, cash buy. <clears throat> you, don't, you could have a 400 credit score and do that. But this is what I want you to be mindful of. Buying and holding real estate is where the wealth is, is where you build wealth. You know, 95% of, um, of all, the, all the wealth in the, in the world really um, are owned by people who own real estate. And you've got to be a part of that. And, and so when I, I read that at 17 years old and it had a profound effect on me uh, for the rest of my life, really, at 17 years old, I knew I was going to get into real estate because I read that in an um, in encyclopedia. Um, it was like an epiphany moment for me. And so I always knew I was going to get into real estate and but buy and hold because I was told that that's where all the wealth is by um, people who are in real estate and real estate investors who are buying and holding. 
which means that you got to start working on your credit. Yes, you can get into investing in wholesale properties. No one's checking your credit. But yes, you want to get into long-term financing on these buy and hold properties. You want to use other people's money, the banks, to finance these deals. You want to become wealthy using other people's money. In most cases, you got to work on your credit. And so start working on your credit so that you can buy and hold properties. I don't care if it's a 400 credit score right now, 500 credit score. The goal is to get it up to a 680 credit score. If you can get over 700, good. But at least a 680 credit score, <clears throat> hard money lenders who are lending long term uh, will lend to you. Now things are opening up. Banks will, will look at you. So work hard on your credit. It's never, ever too late. Work on your credit so that you can get these properties financed. Banks are financing. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they're financing long term. Um, that's the traditional financing for buy and hold properties. Um, Danielle asked me a question earlier. Um, can you buy property subject to the existing mortgage? And the answer is yes. I met with the lady Sunday. <clears throat> where the numbers are close to being good. They're close to um, meeting my criteria, but they're just not there. They're close, but not there. House needs a lot of work. So here's what I said to her. <clears throat> I said, you're behind in your mortgage. Let me bring your mortgage current. Um, she's moving out of state with her son. You go ahead and move out. I'll bring the mortgage current. I'll pay your mortgage, um, I said, for the next two years. I'll be responsible for the mortgage. Um, I'll renovate the property. I will um, rent the property out. I'll put a lien on the property so that you can't sell it up from under me. And in two years, I will, I'll give you $5,000 now for signing the agreement. And then in two years, I'll give you another $5,000 for coming to the settlement table <coughs> and um, signing off the deal because the house is going to stay in her name. I'm not going to have to go out and get financing. I'll just for now finance the rehab cost. And she said, well, I'll do that because the house needs a lot of work. Um, I was told that I wouldn't make any money. I was just going to let the house go, but at least I make something. You'll give me moving expenses now. And I told her two years, but it'll probably um, be less than less than a year that um, I get the property um, renovated and rented out. Um, I'll keep paying her mortgage and then I'll refinance um, and it'll be easier for me to refinance um, to put a mortgage on the property, pay hers off, you know, with a tenant in the property. So that's subject to. So um, I'll be buying a property subject to the existing mortgage. The existing mortgage is going to stay on the property. And so that's that's a way to um, buy a buy and hold. Uh, without getting a new mortgage. And, and, I, and I talked about credit. <clears throat> you could have bad credit. Let's say that you're working on your credit and you know that your credit will be fixed in a year or two, do a subject to. While you're working on your credit, you can still buy and hold. Um, we use hard money lenders. Um, there are some hard money lenders. Most hard money lenders are, it's temporary financing. And there are some now that are starting to do long-term financing. I have a line of credit with a community bank. I would highly um, advise doing that. You can use private lenders, um, someone that you know has a 401k um, to finance your properties um, kind of temporarily. Um, 
or use the burn method buy the property renovate the property rent it out refinance and repeat the process and so i do that a lot i, I have a i have a property that actually got um i bought the property um in annapolis maryland i used a hard money lender for to buy the property so for the acquisition and the rehab cost and um i renovated the property using using the hard money i renovated the property <clears throat> i went ahead and rented out the property and when it was time to um pay off the mortgage i used my line of credit to pay off the hard money lender and my line of credit is long term so so i bought the property you can either use cash in this case i used um hard money i renovated the property property had like six feet of mold in the basement renovated the property um i rented the property i rented it to a voucher holder um section eight um then i refinanced the property um using my heart using my line of credit and then the money that i was able to get back um i used that money to um, buy other properties so that's the burr method b-r-r-r-r -R -R, buy the property renovate the property rent the property refinance the property rent um <clears throat> repeat the process and so um you can buy and hold using the burr method and that's what we do now then that's the model uh we we do that oftentimes we pay cash i have three properties in baltimore now um i have uh thank you danielle I have three properties right now in Baltimore where I'm doing that, but here's what I'm doing. And so I bought these properties cash, renovated the properties. One is already rented out um, to a voucher holder. Um, I'm, we're going through the lead test now on the other two, and then we'll rent those out. We'll get um, a rental license in Baltimore. We'll get a rental license and rent the other two out. So now I have three properties that I own free and clear. And, and I've put in X amount of money in terms of acquisition and rehab um, in the three. And I think I put in, uh, let's see, uh, 140. Let's just say I put in a, to a total of $200,000 in the three. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, probably in another two months, I'm going to get one loan for the three properties. I'm going to get one loan for the three properties. I see you, Marquise. I'm gonna get one loan for the three properties. Um, that that one loan, as a matter of fact, that's what Marquise just did. Uh, one loan for those three properties. My um, my note is probably gonna, is gonna be the 200, so it's gonna give me all of my money back. So let's say um, I've got, I'm in it, in all three for 200,000. I'm gonna get a loan for, for um, 200,000. My note's probably gonna be close to, uh, with the interest rates down and the taxes low, let's just say um, $1,500 a month for the three. $1,500 a month for the three is my, is my um, payment. My rents on each one of them will be, one, one is already $1,700 a month, and the other two will be fifteen. So I only need to rent out one of the properties to pay my mortgage and the other two which is about uh let's just say keep keep the money even three thousand dollars i'm three thousand dollars a month in positive cash flow 
on those three properties, you guys. And I have all of my money back to, to do that all over again. That's how you build wealth. That's why we buy and hold. Um, that's the Burr method. That's creative financing. That's what you have to do, especially if you're um, an independent contractor like a real estate agent. That's what you have to do. That's how you build wealth. Um, and there's just no better way. And then now I've got these three properties. I'm going to work on, <clears throat> and, I, and I have more. I'm just talking about these three. I'm going to work, work on taking some of that money, um, that $3,000 a month, and pay extra so I can get that note paid off. And so this is what we do. We buy the properties right. We pay them down. We pay them off. Buy it right, pay it down, pay it off. And um, your tenants are actually um, paying off that mortgage for you. Now, just with these three properties, I say to my daughter, okay, take good care of them. Take good care of them like I took good care of them. They've been good for me um, in retirement. Now they're yours. Take care of the tenants. Take care of the maintenance. Make sure my grandchildren have these, these, these three. And I'm just talking about these three. But that, that's how we begin the process. Again, I said this earlier, many of us talk about building generational wealth. <clears throat> Most do not. Buying and holding real estate, being creative is how we do it. And that's how you should do it. All right. Um, number four, minimizing, uh, I mean, maximizing profit and minimizing turnover. Here, here's how we maximize um our profits on rental properties. And I, I said it earlier. Num number one, we we screen our tenants. You've got to screen your tenants. I don't care if they're voucher holders. I don't care if they're market rate tenants. You've got to screen them. And you've got to do a good job and take your time screening your tenants because turnover will kill you. Turnover will kill you. And so let's screen our tenants. Let's make sure they fill out the application. Let's make sure that you uh, you visit where they live now. Let's make sure you talk to their landlord or previous landlords. Let's make sure that they're going to take really good care of your properties. I'll be honest with you. You hear a lot of horror stories about tenants. Um, I, I haven't really experienced that like a lot of other landlords do because number one, I screen them, screen my tenants. Number two, I check on, I'm not, you know, we're called absentee owners, but I'm not absent. Like they, they know that we're going to, at minimal every quarter, come check on the property. If I'm in that location, just kind of doing what I do, I'll just drive by. I won't go in. I won't go in unannounced. I won't just knock on the door, but I'll drive by. Oftentimes, the outside of the house is indicative of what the inside of the house is going to look at. But we check on that property. We make regular visits. Um but then also, like I said earlier, we treat we treat our tenants like royalty, like they're taking care of our assets. The way I look at it is they they're taking care of, you know, my grandkids asset. So I treat them well. I um, one of my tenants um, actually in Baltimore called and a couple of weeks ago and there was an issue in the basement. And so I said, I'll come over. On my way over there, I stopped at Krispy Kreme and picked up a dozen donuts for her. I want to have that good, that good bond, that good relationship. I get over there and she's Mr. Bennett this and Mr. Bennett that. Um, and, it, and we just have a really good relationship. 
and I saw I had my contractor meet me over there, saw what the it was just a minor issue that was um, a big issue to her, um, which made it a big issue to me. So we hopped on it. We, we, we chatted about things other than the house and I was out of there, just made her feel good. And I feel like she's going to be a tenant for the next 10 years and I'm going to treat her well. And I'm thinking if everything goes well, so she's a voucher holder, part, part of the um, rent she's responsible for. If she does a good job and she's been doing a good job, I may waive her portion of the fee for December because it's Christmas because she's um, been doing a great job. And I want her there for as long as I can keep her there to minimize um, turnover, um, minimize the improvements that you'll have to do minimize the vacancy that you're going to have to pay if she moves out all of that maximize uh, maximizes your profit and so that's what we do on rental properties we try to maximize our profits and then on commercial properties and multifamily there's other ways to maximize um your profits which i, I won't really get into um but there's other ways to you know bring in even more revenue into the properties um also, I often get the question, um, do you hire a property manager? And the answer is yes. Like I have a portfolio of real estate. Um, I have some, you know, many other business interests. I'm busy. I don't have time to manage the properties the way I should. So, um, so I have a property manager, you know, I pay them um, seven, seven or 8% of the rent, but it's just well worth it. And I, and I let them know the type of relationship that I want them to have with my tenants. I want you to, them to treat them with kit gloves. Like that's their part of my investment. They're not just a number. Don't treat my tenants any, any way. Respond quickly. If you can't respond quickly, um, you call me and I'll respond quickly. But um, yeah, I just don't have time to, you know, manage the properties the way they should. So I hire a property manager. I highly recommend you hiring a property manager. I know um, there's a number of people um, <clears throat> uh, like my buddy Marquise. Uh, he's got over 20 properties. Uh, most of them are in Baltimore. He doesn't have a property manager. He he you know he checks on himself. Another colleague, Joseph, um, he manages his properties himself, Mr. Landlord. Um, but I I I I have a property manager. And so, um, so Marquise put this, I just want to show this to you. Um, so he put buy right, renovate right, rent right, repeat the process equals cash flow. Right? He, he, he couldn't have couldn't have said it any better. Couldn't have said it any better. And and so and so that's what we do. And so we want to take care of these properties, we want to take care of these assets. Um, and we want to um, maximize our profits by minimizing turnover. Like I, I can't say that any any better. Treat your tenants like like they're your brother, your sister. Treat them well. Um, they're not they're they're not your enemy. Treat them well because they're treating you well. At the end of the day, they're they're paying for the house for you, or you know the government really is. Um, but they're taking care of that asset. I had um, I, I, many years ago, I was a Remax agent and our broker owned like, 
like over 60, almost 70 properties in an area in the DMV called Palmer Park. And he treated his tenants like royalty. And then his exit strategy was not to bundle all the properties up and sell them as a package. His strategy was to sell them off one by one. So one by one over, I don't know, two or three years, he would renovate them and sell them, renovate them, sell them, renovate them, sell them, took the money and you know he bought a, um, a, a, a really nice property on a resort in um, Innisburg in uh, Tampa, Florida. And he retired at an early age from 60 or 70 properties that he bought in this area uh, where, where we are called Palmer Park. And at the time he was buying there for like 30,000. By the time he sold these properties, they were um, about 130,000. He had gained all, all the um, cash flow and the tenants paid off almost all those properties. And he retired at a very early age from those properties. And that always resonated with me on what his strategy was. He owned like three Remaxes. Um, he sold the three Remaxes. He sold his all of his properties, and he bought a really nice home in, in Tampa, Florida, um, on a resort that had golf and tennis, and just kind of lived the life that one could only dream of. And it was because of his rental properties. Um, and so you can do the same thing. All right, number five, last thing: consider rental investments. Um, such as multifamily, commercial, um, Airbnb, vacation rentals for additional stream of income. And so um, I, I have as agent investors um, different in, um, agents that work for me uh, who've, who've gotten into like Airbnb and other rental properties. <clears throat> um, one, one girl, um, her name is um, Erica. She um, actually flipped the property. She, she went on to HubZoo, found the property, um, bid it on the property and won. Um, renovated, it was her first renovation. I said, Erica, maybe you should wholesale no. I've always wanted to um, renovate a property and flip it. So she did that. She renovated the property, her very first one, flipped it. She made $50,000 profit. Here's what she did with that $50,000 profit. She took part of that and she followed one of our other agent investors, Valencia, had had a property in um, Orlando, an Airbnb in Orlando. Um, Erica used the same real estate agent, the same community, and, and used some of her profit from the flip to buy um, an Airbnb in Orlando. She was um, actually living in there. Um, when COVID started, um, she had an opportunity to work from home. She says, I've got this Airbnb in Orlando. I'm just going to go down to Orlando and just chill, work from there and just stay in my Airbnb. Now, things have subsided. She's um, she's renting that property out now and she's renting that property out at a pace where she's probably making, I don't know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month. And she only bought the property. I think she bought the property for about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, where her note probably is less than it's less than a thousand dollars. And she's making fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month with her Airbnb. Um, I've got another um, agent investor that, that works here at, at um, 
Bennett Realty Solutions, Leon, he, he has a property, he, he bought land in um, right on the beach in uh, Myrtle Beach, built a house, and um, now he's renting that out as an Airbnb. And he's renting that out, the big house that he built, him, him and his wife, that he's renting that out at like $20,000 a week, you guys. And Myrtle Beach, there's, there's, um, there's, there's a, a longer season in Myrtle Beach than let's say here in the DMV, it's a little warmer there. Um, but he's renting that out at about $20,000 a month. And last time I talked, I mean a week, and last time I talked to him, the whole season's already booked, whole season's booked. And so consider that the whole season's booked because more people um, rather travel staying in Airbnbs than a hotel in terms of COVID, because um, it's easier to sanitize one house than to, than to sanitize a whole hotel. So a lot of people are um, renting Airbnbs in this COVID environment. And so he's in the process of finding more land. I think he just fought, um, found some more and he's renting that out again. So that's another option. I've got other colleagues that have multifamily. Um, I actually, um, hopefully will be riding on a property that um, I looked at this week with um, another investor in Baltimore, where it's a commercial, it's a mixed use. And so if things work out, and, and I hope that they do, um, I'll be using the bottom level for commercial, maybe a real estate office, and the other four levels as um, apartment buildings right across the street from, from the art school. And maybe we'll rent that out at to, to um, students. But the point is, you guys, um, you've got to be creative. Like, let's, let's get creative. Let's start where we are. Let's start with the first property. And then we go on from there. Um, but the bottom line is, let's get in the game. Let's get in the game, especially if you're a real estate agent. You've got to do something, especially if you're full time. Even if you're not, even if you're dual career and you have a 401k, that's not going to be enough to sustain your lifestyle in retirement. You've got to do something else. You've got to have, even in retirement, you've got to have multiple streams of income. What multiple streams of income do you have? Like ask yourself that question. And if the answer is you really don't have much, you got a 401k, that like that's not enough. Rental properties, real estate businesses. That's the multiple streams of income that you need. And like I said earlier, when I think back to um, what I've done with my career, um, when I think about what I'm proud of, I'm proud of the assets that I have, the rental properties that I have. There's nothing that makes me kind of personally to myself, stick my chest out and think, okay, I've got this. Um, you know, in my mind, it's just a way for me to, I just have one child to take care of my daughter, um, take care of myself first in retirement, but I'm leaving a legacy. Um, and I'm proud of that. And I want you to be proud of that too. Um, and there's no better thing that you can, no peace of mind that you can have um, when you're a parent than to, to leave an inheritance for your children. And it's easier to do that with, with real estate, with buy and hold properties. So I want you to think about that. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, some of the things that I've said on this, um, 
Yeah, like Andre is saying, feels good to own. Hopefully, there's something that I said in this um, this short um, live, this short podcast that's really resonated with you. Um, and if it has, um, let today be the first day to start the process of buying and holding. Um, as far as a real estate investor, I do everything. I, I buy and hold, I fix and flip, I wholesale real estate. Again, I'm proudest of the buy and holds, but now um, you know, getting starting to get up in age and starting to really look at my, my retirement, um, whenever there's a decision on whether I said, wholesale this property, flip this property, or buy and hold this property. Now the decision is always leaned towards holding the property, building that portfolio, you know, really, really preparing for retirement, getting as many um, rental properties into my portfolio as possible so that it, it gives me another step towards retirement. It builds my my net worth so I can borrow more money um, from my line of credit so I can buy even more rental properties. And it just gives me more cash flow to to use in retirement to enjoy my life. We work hard to enjoy our lives. And these rental properties, um, you know, provide the opportunity for us to enjoy um, where we've got multiple streams of income, passive income, where, you know, the goal is just to to be at my beach home, to look in, to go online or go on my phone, look at my account. Okay, there's another $50,000 that just went into the account from, or really my goal is $100,000, another $100,000 just went into my account from the local government who's paying for my tenant. That's the goal. And that should be your goal. What's your number? If your number is, okay, you're at your beach home, and you look into your account on the first, they pay on the first on time, recession proof, you guys, COVID proof, recession proof. You want to look on your phone, go to your bank and say, okay, they just deposited the $40,000 for my rental properties. Um, all right, let me, let me, let me kick back and, and enjoy myself, order another pina colada or, or for me, uh, uh, diet coat. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, so let's go, you guys. Let's let's build that wealth. Let's let's focus on that. Um, there's more to come. Um, follow me on um, on my Instagram, Greg Bennett Invest. Subscribe to my um, my YouTube channel. Um, if you're a real estate agent and um, in, interested in um, joining our brokerage or even just talking. Um, about our brokerage. Uh, let me put our site. You can go to um, joinbrs.com. It's, it's scrolling on the bottom. Um, go to joinbrs.com. Make an appointment to talk to me or our recruiter. We'd love to talk to you. We're about building wealth. Like, like our, our motto is earn more, we're 100% company. Earn more, keep more, invest more. That's our motto. All right, you guys. Have a great day. God bless and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.